what would your list look like if you were compiling a list of favorite Christmas music? I think it's kind of interesting to maybe consider your response to that question on the last day of the month and how it might differ from what you would have said on the first day of the month, given that one of the, the magical elements, air quote, of Christmas can be how the repetition of hearing the same songs on the radio over and over can turn those songs that started out as nostalgic into kind of nauseating. And I suppose we'd have to have some different categories of favorite Christmas hymns or carols or music from secular or sacred, from traditional to maybe more trendy and, and new. No matter what your list would include as far as all-time favorite greats uh, or, or favorites, the, the one that would be on the list, the longest, might be the one that we heard about in the gospel this morning, often referred to as the Song of Simeon, one that has topped the charts and been around for some 2,000 years, not just during Christmas, but a song that has gained so much popularity in the church that it is sung routinely throughout the church year after the Lord's Supper, the Song of Simeon, or Nunc Dimittis in the Latin, Now Dismiss Your Servant, Now Dismiss Us. That, that song is what we're going to focus our attention on this morning. And if it's the Song of Simeon, it probably helps for us to consider who exactly is this individual that the song is named after. Who is Simeon? Well, we don't have any detail outside of what you just heard read in Luke's Gospel. We're told that he's a man in Jerusalem, from Jerusalem, maybe not, maybe he's just visiting Jerusalem. But as Luke describes him to us, he says there's a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. That's the Bible's way of saying he was a believer. Not, not claiming that Simeon had never sinned, that kind of righteousness, but the righteousness as we've already sung about today that, that is ours through faith in Jesus. Simeon believed in the promise that his Lord had given to him to send a, a Savior. And Simeon's song uh, was what he belted out in the sight in witnessing this gift that God had promised to him. So a devout, uh, a committed believer in Jesus is the individual that we are talking about. And a little more detail that Luke shares with us uh, as far as what he was waiting for. He was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. So some special pouring out of the spirits that he was experiencing, but he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. A phrase or a word that might sound a little bit odd to our ears. So stop and think, what does it mean when somebody needs consoling? Consolation. Consoling is somebody that has experienced sorrow or loss or grieving. Somebody who has gone through hardship or endured turmoil on a, a smaller level, kind of a diminished level. We even talk about it in sports. If you didn't make the championship game, well, rest easy. Be consoled. You can still play for the consolation trophy, right? So you didn't play in the championship, but at least you had that. So somebody who needs consolation is somebody who has gone through a tough time. And we can see, as you are familiar with the history of Israel, the hard times that they had endured. Going back to Egypt and being enslaved by the Egyptians, 
delivered and then into the wilderness, wandering for a time, and then into their own promised land where their own kings, many of whom were unbelievers, didn't lead well. And then finally, as they in their own wandering and disobedience and unbelief were taken away into captivity and exile. And still today, we hear about Israel and those of, of Jewish descent that, that talk about, and, and rightfully, understandably so, the, the challenges, the, the way that they have had to persevere. But Simeon realized this consolation of Israel was much deeper than just some physical or temporary hardship that the Israelites ever had to endure. He knew that this was a reference to the Messiah, the Christ, the one that God had promised to send to deliver Israel and all people from their sin. And not only that, but this special outpouring of the Holy Spirit had given Simeon a, a little glimpse into kind of a unique special experience that he would have. The Holy Spirit that was on him, we're told it had been revealed to him by that Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. So somehow Simeon came to know that he wasn't going to die until he got to lay his own eyes on the Messiah, the Savior. So we know that that's what brought Simeon into the temple courts that day. He was prompted by the Holy Spirit. Mary and Joseph were there for a little different reason. They were there in obedience to the law. The law required that after a period of uncleanness, after having a, a child, that rite of purification, after that was all complete, then parents were required to bring their firstborn child to the temple. And this goes all the way back to the observance of the Passover. If you remember or are unfamiliar with it, the Passover was one of the, the special ways that God modeled and delivered his people while they were enslaved in Egypt. They, they were required to spread the, the blood of a lamb on the doorpost and the, the angel of death would pass over their home of everybody who had the blood, foreshadowing Jesus. But those who didn't, the firstborn in that family, whether Egyptian or Israelite, would die. And so as a way to remember this promise of deliverance, the Israelites were required to bring their firstborn and to present him to the Lord, but instead of sacrificing their child, to make an animal sacrifice or a payment to redeem or buy back that child as their own. So that's why Mary and Joseph were there, and we know why Simeon was there. So everything is set, the scene is, is all in place. And then when Simeon lays his eyes on the Savior, we have Luke recording for us his response. Verses 28 and following. Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Not just a really profound confession of faith on the part of Simeon, but words that were such a, a powerful testimony and a, a clear teaching of who Jesus was that God saw fit to record this song of Simeon in his word. And, and the church has seen fit to sing this song of Simeon ever since almost as God's people also receive the joy and the assurance of their salvation after having received the Lord's Supper. 
So still today, God's church, his people sing this song of Simeon to celebrate what Simeon himself experienced. And he shares exactly what the source of that that rejoicing was. The reason for his rejoicing was clarified in verse 30 and following. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations. For who knows how long Simeon's heart had hoped for the Messiah. For who knows how long Simeon had undoubtedly as a devout, righteous believer had celebrated customs and observed rites and rituals, all of which would have foreshadowed and reminded him about this promise of a Messiah. But what he had hoped for, what he anticipated, what he eagerly was looking forward to, now he saw with his own eyes. And he held his salvation in his arms. Imagine that. We sometimes wonder what it would have been like to to listen to Jesus' teaching, to touch Jesus, to hug Jesus, to just be in his presence, to eat a meal with him. Simeon saw it. Simeon held his Savior in his arms. And he knew something special about the Savior. As much as the Savior he held and laid his eyes on was his Savior, we also have taught here something essential to understand in Scripture that He isn't just the Savior of any special designation or people, but He came to be the Savior of all people. Two different phrases really capture all people. It says in 32, A light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. We see lights in the season of Advent and Christmas and into Epiphany, and and those lights serve as reminders, as visual aids, that that is exactly what Jesus is. The light of our salvation, the light of the world. What does a light do? In a dark room, you flip on the light and you can suddenly see everything in the room. The light reveals what you couldn't otherwise see. And Simeon is acknowledging this Savior, Jesus, came to be the Savior for all people, including the Gentiles, which is a word that just applies to everybody who's not Jewish. So everybody who's not Jewish, this Savior is a light for their salvation. But that doesn't mean that the Jewish people, the Israelites, are excluded. He says that phrase, the glory of your people, Israel. You think of what a big deal it is when you're able to to name a, a celebrity or an athlete who hails from the town that you grew up in or that you live in. And we name drop as if it's a big deal. Our, 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 our city or town of our birthplace is somehow put on the map because somebody special was born there. And Simeon's saying, you Israelites, you have a claim to fame that nobody else can make. No Gentile is able to say what you are able to say. No one can claim the glory of the Savior coming from their nation, from their people. Now, whether or not they believe it, whether at that time or or in Israel or or amongst Jewish people today, doesn't, doesn't matter. Their glory still is that the Savior of all people came from their nation, from their people. This is a Savior not just for Simeon, but for everybody. And he shares then, the impact, the effect of knowing all of this that, that it had on Simeon. He says in verse 29, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. Knowing his salvation, Lord, just as you promised, I'm ready to depart. 
That phrase, as you have promised, is so timely during the season of Christmas. Isn't that really what Christmas is about? God made a promise to send a Savior, and he kept it. And in Christmas, he sets the tone for revealing to us that that's how this God, the only true God, operates. He makes a promise, and he keeps it. He promised to send a Savior. Christmas is the proof that he kept that promise. And for us in this New Testament era, doesn't that set the tone in the rest of Scripture, in the the New Testament Scriptures? If God made a promise, you know that he's going to keep it. We have the benefit of seeing that. He kept it at Christmas. And then he promised that that Savior born on Christmas would grow up and be our righteousness, our perfection, our obedience. And God kept that promise. He promised that that Jesus, that tiny babe that Simeon held in his hands would grow up and he would die on a cross. And he kept that promise. And he promised that after he died, three days later, he would rise from the dead victorious over death and sin and Satan. And God kept that promise. And he promises that on the last day, that same Jesus, not as a tiny babe in Bethlehem or in Simeon's arms, but as the glorious, almighty, reigning, ruling Jesus, will come to his own when he returns on that last day. If he made that promise, he will keep it. And how much do we need that assurance as we close out another year? This last day of 2023 gives us the opportunity to look back at another year in the rearview mirror and what do we see but a past that is littered with broken promises. This year was going to be different in so many, so many ways. You made this promise to that person. You made this promise to yourself. Broken. Broken. Maybe it's just during the holidays. This year, I'm not going to go crazy. I'm not going to spend too much. Broken. This year, I'm going to be ahead of things. I'm going to be on top of things. I'm going to be in control of everything. Make this the best Christmas ever. Broken. This year, I'm going to spend more time focusing on my faith and deepening that. Broken. And that is our track record. Broken promise after broken promise. And to those of us who who all share that same past, Simeon reminds us that the Jesus he held in his hands, our Savior, is different. He doesn't break his promises. He keeps them. And of all of those promises that we need him to keep is the promise that he will forget our sins because he has forgiven our sins. And that must have washed over Simeon a a peace unlike any that he could ever have imagined or experienced. A peace that prompted him to speak those words, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. Pretty literally translated, Master, release your slave. Let me go. We understand that, that Simeon was likely there saying, Lord, I've seen it all. I'm ready to go home to heaven. What more does this world have for me? I have seen my salvation. It's guaranteed. I know that my name is written in the book of life because here is my Savior, the one that you sent for me. I don't need anything else from this world or this life. I'm ready to depart when and as you see fit. An unimaginable peace. A peace that makes perfect sense for us to sing this Nunc Dimittis, this song of Simeon, after being assured of that same peace in the Lord's Supper. A peace that just as Simeon prayed is a peace that that releases us as well from the burden of sin and guilt. 
a peace that, that promises to us that we are not enslaved by sin, that we are not helpless, that we are empowered by God's grace to say no to sin, a peace that assures us that terrified, troubled consciences need not be, a peace that says everything is going to be okay, the kind of peace that we all need. The kind of peace that, that impacted a, a mom in kind of a unique way one night as there were thunderstorms rumbling outside and as this went on, eventually her daughter climbed into her bed with her and quickly after she cuddled up with mom and soon fell asleep and the mom was observing her, just notice how quickly she fell back asleep, how gentle her breathing was, how peaceful and calm her expression was as she slept there peacefully. And it gave her opportunity to reflect on her own life. How many times as she looked back during the storms of her own life had she prayed, had she asked God to remove the storms from her life? And yet her daughter did not come into the room and say, Mommy, make it stop, take the storm away. She simply cuddled up next to her mother and was at peace. So this mother realized maybe that should be reflected more. Rather than asking God to take away these storms, what she ought to be striving for is the presence of Jesus to be near her in the midst of those storms. You will have storms in 2024. Rather than begging, asking, pleading God to remove those hardships or seasons of difficulty from, from you in the year ahead, maybe do what Simeon did by, with your arms of faith, wrap them around your Savior and find your peace not in the absence of those difficulties or hardship, but find your peace in the presence of your Savior. Hold him just as Simeon did in the temple courts that day to experience a peace that washed over him. A peace that Jesus promises to you that is never going to leave you, that is as near as his word and his sacrament. A peace that Simeon marveled at and as, as Luke tells us, so did Joseph and Mary. As they listened to this song, Luke tells us, the reaction. In verse 33, the child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. May we marvel at God's grace as he gives to us, to it, his grace to us week in and week out, each and every time that we receive his body and blood in the sacrament. Again, he reminds us of the peace that he came into this world to bestow. Peace that comes from his presence. May God fill us with the assurance of that peace and all the calmness, all the lack of anxiety, all the confidence that it will bring to us in the year ahead. Amen.